You are now tuned in to the December 26er podcast, where we encourage you to be extraordinary on an ordinary day. Hey, 26ers, welcome to another episode of the December 26er podcast. I am your host, Delisha. And for this episode, we are featuring an interview with Keishan Rowe. Keishan is an accountant, a financial coach, and an all-around powerhouse. I really, really enjoyed our conversation, not only because I relate to Keishan on a number of levels, but also because we just discussed some really great topics from building a budget to closing the wealth gap within the Black community to creating generational wealth. And we even talked a little bit about romantic life, what it's like to date as a woman with a certain level of success and accomplishments. Yes, we went there and we kept it real. So please take a listen and I am confident that you will enjoy. Keishan, welcome to the December 26th podcast. How are you? I am doing great. How are you? I am wonderful because tonight is an important night. This is major. We have the first female guest on the podcast. Wow. I feel like I'm like the first lady or the first lady of, you know, like hip hop. You should. You should feel that way. This this is momentous. We've yeah. had so many guys. They've been great guests, but I've been waiting for a sister to join the conversation. So we're happy we've, we're finally able to sync schedules and get you in. And let's jump right into it. Who is Keishan Rowe? Well, first, before I give your audience an introduction as to who I am. I want to say thank you for this opportunity, um, for coming here, for you just laying the foundation and opening the doors for me to come and speak about something that I love to talk about, which is finances. So by way of introduction, my name is Keishan Rowe. I'm an accountant by profession, as well as a financial coach. Listen, I'm also really happy to have you on because I feel like finances are such a taboo topic, but something Mm -hmm. that we should be discussing. And, you know, this whole concept of be extraordinary on an ordinary day, I personally believe that you've got to have control of your time. You've got to have control of your money. I've mentioned it on here before, and it's important to me to bring tactical information to the audience so that they know, you know what, it's not just about maximizing my potential and productivity. It's also Mm -hmm. about maximizing my potential and my budget or in dream realization because we need money. You Mm -hmm. need money for all those things. So tell me, what really drew you to the realm of financial literacy? I think one of the main things that steered me in the direction is that I saw my own personal success Mm -hmm. when it came to money. So um, my background is my parents are from the Caribbean. My dad came over to America from Jamaica. Uh, He came here with one blue suitcase. And in that suitcase, he decided that he was not going back to Jamaica. Mm -hmm. And he made an amazing life for himself. And while being here, he actually said to himself, you know what? I want to purchase a home. I want to live the American dream. I want to do all of those things to leave a legacy for my children. And in doing that, being in the household and seeing him doing all these amazing things, it really helped me to transform my life when it comes to savings and budgeting and all of these basic fundamental skills that unfortunately are not taught in the home and are not taught in school. Right. So would you say that you always had this ability or this desire to be in a good place financially or did you have some missteps along the way? Well, I think with anything, you always have your your mishaps or your areas of improvement. Mm -hmm. But the core of who I am was always surrounded with not wanting to be in debt. I never wanted to owe anyone money. Um, and, And I'm not sure if that was something that my father said per se, but I think 
the overall theme in the household was to live within your means. Which, unfortunately, with the society that we live in, that is not the case, right? Everybody's trying to stunt. Everybody is living off credit cards and borrow, borrow, borrow in hopes they can pay it off. And obviously, there are many credit card companies getting rich off that that way of living. And I had mentioned on a previous episode that I don't I don't have carry credit card debt either. There was a time in my life when I did. And Mm -hmm. I just got to a point where I was like, you know what? End of that. I don't want to be a slave to someone else who's making money off my inability to manage the money that I have. Right. Um, So let's get back to your career because Mm -hmm. you're an accountant. Correct. So did you always know, though, that you wanted to educate others and really turn your passion into a business as well? Or did that come later? I think I, the again, what I mentioned before about mm-hmm. the core of who I am, mm-hmm. I think at my core, I always wanted to make an impact. Mm-hmm. And in doing that, I knew I wanted to be a change agent in someone's life. And I knew with me really tapping into the whole world of financial literacy, I can change the lives of people that I come in contact on a day-to-day basis. I've had clients from people at my church, from people that I used to work with, um, people that I go and I speak on engagements and I meet or referrals. I have the opportunity to pour into them and tap into something that somebody has not tapped into before. Because the reality of it is we all have that innate ability to be great. But unfortunately, because of the things that we've been exposed to, we really don't get to live our best lives, especially when it comes to our finances. Absolutely. So I'm jumping ahead already. But since you mentioned that, you know, you worked with people from your church and other places, Mm -hmm. what you do is you coach them, right? So oftentimes I would presume that people are coming to you with financial problems. Yes. You're not providing these services for free, I I wouldn't suspect, right? So how do you position yourself with someone who's coming to you because they need help with money, but they've also got to pay you for that help? Wow, 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 wow. So the reality of it is that we find money for any and everything that will provide a benefit in one area of the, or the other. True. But unfortunately, when it comes to self-growth, motivation and putting us in a different position, unfortunately, we don't tap into that side. So the reality of it is if you want to change the trajectory of your life, you're going to have to do something that is unconventional, which means you're going to have to look and see where you could potentially have money to pay for a particular service. If you are sick and you need to go to the doctor, you will find the money to go to the doctor. Absolutely. If you are hungry, and a lot of times that's where individuals spend the most of their money is on food, unfortunately, they're going to find the money to pay for whatever it is that right. they want. So I've had clients before when I first started out, I charged, you know, something really small, mm-hmm. especially because I knew of their financial history or I put them on a payment plan. But the reality of it is if you really want to see your life change, you have to do something uncomfortable in your life. That is true. And the advice that I always or, or the, the example I always use is funerals. Mm-hmm. People can pull money together when it comes to a funeral, okay? If they've got to find flights, they've got to rent a car, they've got to get here, they've got to, you know, get that the funeral home paid Mm -hmm. for, they've got to get the repast food, they make it happen. You can get resourceful when you have to. Mm -hmm. And and sometimes you got to look at money the same way as a life or death situation, right? Absolutely. So I wholeheartedly support actually monetizing your gifts, right? Mm -hmm. So, but let's talk about this because you, you grew up in a home where there was a level of, I would say, fiscal responsibility and, and you were taught to approach money in a healthy, very sound way. Everybody doesn't have that. You know, many people grow up in homes that 
not only are living paycheck to paycheck, but there's no talk of a budget. There's no talk of credit or how to build a diversified portfolio. So what initial advice would you give to someone who didn't grow up with that foundation, but actually wants to chart a course to financial freedom? I would say the first thing is just really getting to a point where you realize that change can occur. Mm -hmm. So again, everyone exposure to money is different. My exposure is different. And and the reality of it is I have two younger sisters. Mm -hmm. We all were raised in the same household. Each one of us have an extremely different relationship (laughs) with money. And we were raised in the same household. So it's a matter of the things that you pick up over the course of your life and how you're going to allow those things to shape who you are. And then allowing those things to shape who you are, really saying at the end of the day, okay, I know that I can do this. I have to one, change. I have to be cognizant of the fact that um, I have to be diligent with the money that I already have because I say it all the time. Stewardship brings you closer to ownership. And if you don't steward what you currently have, how are you going to be comfortable with the blessings that you're going to come in the end? Because statistics show that um, lottery winners who normally get this whole bunch of money within five years, they normally file for bankrupt. And it's the main reason is because they have not mastered the money mindset and they have not developed a relationship with money to cause them to get to a point where um, they're not living from paycheck to paycheck, quote Mm -hmm. unquote, because the reality of it is money reveals who you are. So if you were a nice person and generous and very, you know, giving when you receive money, that's going to highlight who you are. But if you shop, spend, you know, do all of these things that won't add value to who you are at the end of the day, it's just going to continue to continue in your life. So I would say those are the areas. Mm -hmm. Those those would be the main areas. Awesome. So I know there are people who are going to hear this and say, this all sounds great. You know, I need to have a better relationship with money, Mm -hmm. but I'm underemployed. I am not making enough to make it happen. So I'm always operating in the red, operating Mm -hmm. from a deficit. I I don't know how to implement anything better. Like I'm I'm in debt. I I can't pay all my bills. I don't know what to do. This this doesn't apply to me. What do you say to that person? I would say uh, get rid of that myth. Mm one and two really dig down deep inside and say you know what if I really want again everything has to it starts with the mind so if you yourself say I want to change my relationship with money you can do it so it's a matter of sitting down and creating that budget because mm-hmm. everyone is going to say I don't have enough I'm living from paycheck to paycheck and unfortunately statistics show that 76% of Americans are living from paycheck to paycheck right so that's the harsh reality but I strongly believe believe that individuals can propel themselves so that they can reside in the 24 percentile as opposed to the 76 percent. So this whole I don't have enough money, my job is not paying me enough. If you are really honest with yourself and do some personal inventory, you're going out on the weekends, you're buying that outfit that you know you don't need, you're buying those shoes, you're doing a lot of um doing a lot of things to take away from the core of who you are in relation to your finances. So everyone always says, you know, I don't make enough. Right. But you it might be a reality, but you really need to look at your budget because there might be some things that you can cut off like Netflix. Right. Which everyone thinks I always say, like, annualize everything because people think, oh, you know, 
I belong to Netflix. That's only eight ninety nine a month. But I'm like, it okay, but up. if you annualize that, right? Mm-hmm. And it's still only what, you know, times twelve hundred, yeah. you know, a little over hundred bucks. Um, I'm not an accountant. Definitely <laughs> math was not my thing in school, but I did take calculus. Yeah. I survived. Um, but if you annualize those mm-hmm. things and you compound enough of them that are luxuries mm-hmm. per se, there is money there. It right. Is. You just have to decide where your treasures lie That's and what you're it. passionate about. That's my my personal philosophy. That's it. Okay. So let's take it a, a step further because I know for me, something that I've been exploring is not just budgeting and saving, but investments. Yes. And what I have found, particularly in communities of color, is that we are risk averse when Mm -hmm. it comes to opportunities. Not everyone, but a lot of us are risk averse when it comes to giving uh, our money an opportunity to grow. When when you say generational wealth and creating generational wealth, do you think that that's possible without taking some risks? So investing in real estate, having a diversified portfolio, investing in a startup, et cetera? Yes, I, I strongly believe that you could build that life of generational wealth um, with the idea that you want to be not as aggressive as the next person. Um, the road or the path towards it might be a little longer. However, you will still be able to get to the end result. As I mentioned, it might take a little longer mm-hmm. because the reality of it is um, in order for you to really optimize that potential when it comes to a higher return, unfortunately, you're going to have to take those uncalculated risks. Mm -hmm. And what I tell my clients all the time, mainly is even before we start to explore the idea of investing and, you know, rental properties, really make sure that you have a substantial amount of money saved. Because in the event that you put all of this money into the stock market, into these other financial um, instruments, and the stock market crashes, that's it. Mm-hmm. You don't have any more money um, left over. So I, I love to talk about the foundation, which would be budgeting and savings. But yes, I strongly believe that if you want to see great growth and generational wealth, you know, passing down wills to your kids instead of bills, having legacies instead of liabilities, in order for those things to manifest, you really have to set yourself with the foundation of budgeting and saving and then said, you know what, I can use this additional money that I have left over to be risky with. Absolutely. And can I just put a plug right here when you say wills instead of bills, put a plug in for life insurance. Yes. Yes. The chicken dinners to bury you. Let's not. Let's go back to the funerals. Like get life insurance. I think it's something that a lot of people overlook, Mm -hmm. but such a crucial element, not just to take care of things, you know, the the expenses when you pass on. But that is another way people create generational wealth. Yes. And and, and so the reality of it is you you don't always want to make things about color. Mm -hmm. Um, and, And us being women of color, I think we can explore that conversation and your father followers or your listeners could really tap into that side of, you know, sound advice, because I think we engage in conversations about everything that is not conducive for success. Sure. But when it comes to sound advice, something like you just mentioned about insurance, a lot of people don't know that that's what other races are doing mm-hmm. to capitalize on this whole wealth um economics. And the reality, again, is that there's a large gap between 
people of color and our counterparts. Mm -hmm. And the main reason is because, you know, there's so many factors that play into it. But I strongly believe a lot of it has to do with the way we manage our money. Right. So since you brought up the gap, let's go there. What are some other things we just talked about life insurance? What are some other things that the black community community can do to close that very real wealth gap? So that really real wealth gap, we need to, as a community, understand our our buying power. Yes. So we're just going to let that marinate. For yeah, a let's let that let, let's sit let's, on that for a second because it's real. Power. Yeah. We have such a tremendous buying power and unfortunately we're we're buying things that are not adding value to who we are at the end of the day. And as a culture, we put so much emphasis and looking good and there's nothing wrong because I'm looking at you from across the room and and you you put yourself together mm-hmm. really well. I equally do the same thing, but I understand the importance of making sure that my bank account reflects that particular lifestyle. Now, I tell, I say it all the time that I want my followers, I want my friends, I want my my family to get in their minds to stop writing lifestyle checks that their bank accounts can't cash. That's good. So we're out there trying to impress people who are not even checking for us at all we're trying to keep up with the joneses and the joneses are out there living their best life but because of social media and unfortunately millennials are we don't want to talk about the millennials because we fall in that realm but at the same time i think we are a little bit more seasoned Mm -hmm. so we understand the core fundamentals of you know budgeting and saving and living within our means and not trying to stunt for the next person right so i feel as a community we can bridge that gap. But I think the main thing we have to understand our buying power, realize that we need to not be so caught up in net income and be more concerned with net worth. And net worth is solely your assets minus your liabilities. Mm -hmm. So assets are anything that add value to who you are, what you owe, own. So a house, cash, stocks, all of those things and your liabilities are credit card debts, student loans, you know, car notes, all of those things are liabilities. The moment we realize that we need to shift the the clock, shift it to a point where our assets increase and our liabilities should decrease, then our net worth starts to go up. And that's where true wealth is calculated based on your net worth. So let's talk about appearances a little bit more. So I had an, an experience, maybe at this point three or four years ago at the time I was working with a bunch of startups and solo practice doing my thing as an entrepreneur and and making connections and as part of that I was talking to popular bloggers and influencers about collaborating in a way or writing for their sites or what have you and my team at the time that was kind of helping manage that for me and build the brand had gone out to a very very popular blogger and her team been around forever and said hey you know, we've got this great lawyer. She's, you know, woman of color. You're a woman of color. You should let her, you know, you should have her to write for your blog or what mm-hmm. have you. And that team did some searching of me online. And listen, I'm not big on social media. That's no secret. Like, you know, I'm, I'm, my personality is such that I don't feel the need to stunt in mm-hmm. that way um, on a consistent basis. So there's not a lot out there mm-hmm. on me. And the feedback that we got was like a hard no, because I didn't quote fit the image wow. um, of what they wanted. And And I knew what that meant. You know, I wasn't on the scene in that way. I didn't, you know, rock the weave and the the lubus and all that stuff. Right. And all the posts that showed I'm like living this million dollar lifestyle. And I wasn't living it because that's not 
I'm not a millionaire. That's not, So why would I perpetrate that if that's not who I am? But I know oftentimes in, in doing this blog and talking to a lot of potential guests, they're always grappling with presenting success and looking the part, even if they have not reached it yet. So how do you balance that, right? Wanting to look like the subject matter expert and also have a vision. You look beautiful today. You look very well put together, but mm-hmm. to do it every day, you mm-hmm. know, and to be in the public eye and post about it, you know, it takes money, yes. right? To present that brand. So how do you balance fiscal responsibility with as an entrepreneur, mm-hmm. putting forth that image that says I am successful, I'm wealthy, etc. So I, I think the key is understanding who you are. And once you understand understand who you are, people are going to buy into whatever it is that you sell. Mm-hmm. Right. And I try to be very mindful that what I post about is who I am about. And the reality, again, is that a lot of times we want to project that we have this million dollar account. And in actuality, we don't. And for me, I have to be very mindful, especially because I deal with finances. Mm -hmm. I'm very keen on looking at my budget, you know, engaging in conversations to make sure that I'm staying on target. Um, And again, there's nothing wrong. And I think I shared in the onset of the discussion, there's nothing wrong with looking good. And and again, as a culture, we take pride in that. But it's just realizing that you have to shop on a budget. Mm-hmm. And I remember I wrote an article some time ago about balling on a budget. And you could do it. You know, I buy dresses on sale all the time. Shout out to Century 21. Yes. I'm a big supporter. <laughs> and um, finding things that I can wear in multiple places. Mm-hmm. So I wear dresses pretty much every day to work and I wear dresses to church on Sunday. Mm-hmm. So my wardrobes consist of nothing but dresses, but I make sure I buy things that I can wear in both places. That's a way that I try to keep myself looking the part, but also living within my means. Got it. Okay. So let's talk more about balance because you have a business that you're building, but yes. you also have this career mm. as an accountant. I know personally how hard it is to pursue your passion and, mm-hmm. you know, do all this stuff on the side, but then have this nine to five, right, where they're they're cracking their whip, for lack of a better term. So what does a typical day look like for you? Typical day in the life of an accountant. <laughs> so according to society, you know, accountants live a very boring life. Um, that might be 100 percent true. <laughs> However, if I was to add a little bit of season into it, um, I would say a typical day in the life of an accountant by me um, it consists of, you know, me getting to work, trying to get to work on time, mm-hmm. trying to steward. And I was just a- actually having this conversation with my best friend uh, today that even though my passion is to speak to individuals about financial literacy and getting their financial houses in order, I understand that I am called to be excellent in my current job. Absolutely. And it's hard at times when you feel as though the impact you want to make on society you can't do that at your current job and you oftentimes become frustrated. But I'm learning daily that while God has me in that particular location, I have to be the best until it's time for me to transition. So the the normal day, the normal day for me consists of showing up to work, putting on that face because, you know, in corporate America, you got to put on that. Yes. You got to put on that. Hi, how you doing? That face. So that's my normal day to day life. And then when I leave work, um, 
that's when I'm trying to tap into my passion, you know, constantly listening to motivational messages, constantly um, looking at people who are doing the same thing that I'm doing and not feeling like they're competition because no one can serve what I'm serving. Right. Everyone is talking about the same thing, just like your podcast. Everyone has a podcast, but I bet you what you're offering to the population as a whole is completely different than what other people are doing. So, And that's what it's all about, differentiating yes. yourself. You know, I'm, I always say like, you know, I live under the law of universal abundance, meaning mm-hmm. there's enough for all of us. That's there's enough. It. We can all eat. Yes. Right? You don't have to try to creep, creep into my lane. I'm not trying to merge into yours. That's it. Let's eat. Okay. So you've got the day job you're working on being a good steward there and operating it at a standard of excellence Mm -hmm. and then how are you fitting in working with personal clients how do I how do you fit it in working with personal clients so after I leave my nine Mm -hmm. to five um I have clients that I meet after work Mm -hmm. So we would meet at a normal, a local Starbucks or we would meet at the library, wherever is convenient for them. And we get down and dirty and talk about finances. And I know a lot of times most of my clients in the beginning, they're a little ashamed about talking about their finances, especially if their credit score is low or um, if they're struggling to pay bills. Um, Sometimes we don't like to be vulnerable and expose ourselves, but there's so much healing when it comes to being exposed, um, especially with someone that you can trust. So in the beginning, I'm always trying to build their trust in me to let them know that what you're telling me isn't new. I've heard it before and I have solutions to help you in your situation. So do you have any other tips you want to add to that for? Because I know I even as a lawyer, I've dealt with this with clients. They come in and they they have shame around what they haven't done correctly in their business or what have you. So you're working to build trust. You're telling them you haven't. You know, there's nothing new under the sun. Right. Seen it all, heard it all. But there are other things you do to help them overcome their own shame in the process. So it's it's funny that you say that because um, the, the financial piece is the main objective, but I have to talk to the heart and soul and the mind of the person first because they have to believe that they can get out of their financial situation. Mm -hmm. And a lot of times they come to me when they feel hopeless or they feel as though, you know, um, they, they lost all hope because they don't know how to change their current financial situation around. So I actually talk to the person, talk to their their heart and to let them know that, you know, people make mistakes every day. But the reality of it is in order for you to be successful, you have to learn from the mistakes that you made. And those mistakes are not designed to define you, but they are designed to help propel you to the next level. Got it. I love that. So I'm throwing a freestyle question at you. I'm going to warn you. What would you say to the college graduate that's just getting out of school? Mm -hmm. It's got that first, you know, salaried position and they're think they're counting already and spending like I could buy this. I can do Mm -hmm. this. I can finally go on vacation. What would you say to, to a person that's at that stage of their life to set them on the proper path financially. So that question is amazing because that very question is the question I had with myself when I came Mm -hmm. out of school. So accounting, coming into the world of accounting, I, I got an amazing job in corporate America. My first job was at a big four accounting firm. So when you are in college, that's where you want to strive to to go. So I was able to get this great job, was receiving really great money at a very young age. And automatically I thought to myself, when my car died, 
It's time for me to show the world that I have arrived. Time to ball out. Dun, dun, dun. <laughs> I was so ready. I went to the car dealer. I went to, I wanted a BMW. So I went there because I was like, you know what? I'm going to get a BMW. <laughs> I, I, How I, old were you? I was, um, so when you graduate from high college. Like 22. Yeah, like 22. <laughs> so I was like, I'm ready for it. So in my mind, though, I always knew that I didn't want to spend too much. Mm -hmm. So I knew I wanted to be a baller, but I didn't want to live the life of the baller that mm -hmm. much because I knew that with that came certain responsibilities, i.e. more money. And because I came from the background of living within my means, I had to say to myself, yeah, I want that BMW, but if it's outside of the budget that I set for myself, then I'll see how it goes. Went to the dealership with my dad. They told me some crazy amount. And I was like, OK, we could just go to Honda <laughs> and get get the car. That car I had for 10 years from Honda. It actually died on me last year. Shout out to Honda. I yes. drive a Honda still. I'm not ashamed to admit it. I, I'm not ashamed either. <laughs> <laughs> Actually, I had the same car in high school that I had as a professional. Really? And the only reason I got the Honda, the new Honda, was because that car died. So that car died. Then I had to get the Honda instead of the BMW. Had that car for 10 years. And when I tell you I used to pray driving <laughs> on the George Washington Bridge or going to church, Lord, don't let this car break down on me. And my sister always told me, why do you live your life as though you're broke? And I said, I, I, I don't live my life as though I'm, I'm broke. I just come from the school of thought that it makes no sense to always buy things that I know I can afford. Right. And that has helped me. But I had to realize that my my safety was important. So that was the only reason why I said, you know what, it's time for me to get a new car <laughs> because who wants to get stranded? But the reality of it is um, you always want to just keep in the back of your mind. You can look good. You could be successful. You can look successful, but just be very mindful. So to that college student coming out of school, you have so much time in your 20s is the time for you to build. That's that's your time for you mm -hmm. to grind. Excuse me. That's your time to grind. And then in your 30s, that's your time to build. And then in your 40s, your 50s. And as you get older, that's your time to to relax. So you have already laid the foundation. So mm -hmm. when you become 40 and 50, that money that you have put into retirement, your 401ks, they're working behind the scene for you. And what's happening is a lot of times people are playing catch up. Right. So they'll start their first job in, in whatever environment that they're in. And, and I want people to realize, especially when it comes to your finances, you can be successful in any lane that you're in. And not just because you work in financial and accounting or in corporate America that equates to success because you can be a blue collar worker and be a better steward over your finances than somebody that works in corporate America. Absolutely. I know quite a few who are doing well for themselves and yes. are in a better position yes. close to retirement than some of the corporate white collar yes. folks that I know because white collar folks are generally spending every yes. penny that they make. Because it goes back to that image. So I have to wear those suits. Mm -hmm. I have to, you know, wear those those expensive shoes because I'm living an image because of the job that I have. Man, listen, the image that I have, I created and I created it within a budget. Right. So no one needs to know that I spent $20 on my dress. Right. Mind you, I have to be mindful because you don't want it to fall <laughs> apart on you. So, it's, you know, you do things in reasoning, but, you know, you can still look good on a budget. You surely can. Yeah. So do you think that you can start late? 
and finish rich. Start late and finish rich. So the person who's in their 40s or 50s and beating themselves up listening to this, because we do have listeners across a bunch of different age demographics Mm -hmm. because they didn't make the right decisions or they got caught up in the crash of 08, you Mm -hmm. know, or the recession, lost their home or what have you. They might hear what you said and, Mm -hmm. and think, I'm really behind now. There's no hope. Is there? There, There's always hope. There's always uh, a light at the end of the tunnel, you know, and that's a cliche because we Mm -hmm. hear it all the time, but it speaks value and volume in so many different areas. And I want those listeners, the 40, the 50, the 60 year olds to realize that you could still it's going to be harder. So the reality of it is it's going to be a little Mm -hmm. harder because once you get to a certain age, the bounce back in the event that you put the money in the stock market and it goes down, the recovery might be a little longer. And because you're at that age, you might not have the time to recoup it. However, there are so many other financial tools out there that you can capitalize on so that you can definitely have that wealth and you can retire healthy and, you know, in a good place. So all hope is not lost. So what would you say to a person who is a saver. Mm -hmm. So they've got the basics down. They've got good credit. You know, they they put a little away, a little nest egg. They manage their money very well, but they don't know how to grow it. So are are there services that you offer to that prototype as well, that profile, customer profile? Well, as far as investing, because I am a financial coach Mm -hmm. and not so much a financial advisor, I cannot take an individual's money and say, I'm going to invest it in Mm -hmm. these particular stocks. I do put my clients in a position where I help them open up accounts so that they can start investing on their own. So I teach them the fundamentals of it. But I myself am not in a position to take their money and invest it on their behalf. Mm -hmm. Understood. But in your service, you can at least advise a little bit to say, oh, look into this or look into that, which I think is equally as important, even if you're not the one doing it for them. Okay. Because for me, um, and, and there's this saying, and I might be butchering it, but it's you teach a man, if I show a man to fish, he'll eat for a day. But if I teach a man to fish, he'll eat for a lifetime. Everything that I do is circled around teaching. Mm -hmm. So if I teach you, the dividends in your life are going to be so much more because you're going to be in a position to pass that down to your kids and your kids are going to pass it down to their kids. So I'm very big on teaching, um, which helps them to understand that, you know what, I could do this. I don't really need someone to hold my hand that much anymore. Right. That's great. So you mentioned that we're sort of like on the the old end of the millennials, right? (laughs) We're like the old heads. I really don't identify with millennials very much and (laughs) I mean I'm we're literally I don't know how old you are but I I feel we're probably around the same age and on the cusp Mm -hmm. right so tap dance yeah exactly so I always say I'm not don't call me that I'm not a millennial but in any (laughs) case um, if you're anything like me, right, you've gotten to an age where you've you've found your rhythm a little bit, you've hit your stride and you've accomplished a lot, but your dreams are probably so much bigger yes. and there's so much more that you want to do. And yes. I know because, and this 26 is in general, but because we operate like that, oftentimes you can feel like, oh, I, f- I feel so far behind that there's still so much more to be done. How do you stay motivated when you've got, you know, the day job and you're working with the side clients and you, I'm sure you want the 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 side clients to be your main gig, right? You want your passion to be profitable enough that you don't have to give time to corporate America. So thinking about all that, thinking about how much you've accomplished, but everything else you want to do, how do you stay motivated? I stay motivated by one, family and friends 
there's a, a, a quote or a saying that says you are the average of the five people you spend the most time with. Mm-hmm. And I realized my core friends are constantly pouring into me and encouraging me to live my best life and, and live that life of impact. So staying abreast of whatever is going on in the community or in in the world when it comes to finances, um, being spiritually inclined, um, motivate, listening to motivational spe- speakers. I listen a lot to Les Brown. Mm-hmm. Um, he speaks to a different side of where I'm, I'm trying to go. Um, speaking or listening to folks like uh, T.D. Jakes mm-hmm. because he's speaking now to the spiritual side. So just putting myself in a position where I'm constantly being fed on so many different areas because we're human at the end of the day, but we're made up of body, soul, and so many other things. So it's important for me to not just feed one side, but to feed the total man. For sure. And speaking of feeding, we know that you're a resource and you offer, you know, a service to clients, but what are some other resources? If someone wants to start in this journey, maybe they're not quite ready to call, you know, call a coach, call Mm -hmm. you, but they want to start educating themselves. Are there resources out there that you think folks should be looking at for financial responsibility or knowledge? Yeah, I I would say um, buying books. Mm -hmm. Um, It seems like it's a thing of the past where people don't really read anymore, but there's so much power in the things that people write. Um, Joining social media and aligning yourself with certain, you know, leaders, certain persons who are speaking about finances, where they're highlighting areas that you want to change. Um, going on YouTube and looking up videos about, you know, how do I start a budget? How do I master a budget? All of these things, because again, we do research and we look into everything else, but, but unfortunately the areas that will propel us, we're not looking into those that much. So going to Yahoo, going to Forbes.com, looking up things on there, constantly feeding yourself just Mm -hmm. the same way that we feed ourselves in the natural by eating. We also need to feed ourselves in those areas that we want to see improvements in. Of course. So I'm working on my budget. You know, Mm -hmm. let's say I'm a client of yours. I'm working on my budget and I'm trying to figure it out. What people I think have the most trouble with is like the miscellaneous. Like we know the big bills. Yes. But we get caught off guard by the miscellaneous things. Mm -hmm. So how do you encourage your clients to prepare for the curveballs that come? Yeah, the curveballs. Curveballs, because the reality is emergencies do not make appointments. They do not. So because they don't make appointments, we always have to be one step ahead. And in doing that, like you mentioned about this miscellaneous, mm-hmm. you know, sometimes that miscellaneous account can be extremely high because it consists of so many different things that add to it at the end of the day. But I would say when looking at your budget and, and highlighting all of the things that you know you need to focus on that are fixed expenses. That miscellaneous account, at that one point, it was $500, $600, $700. You want to look at and say, you know what, for this month, I'm only going to spend $100 or $200. Mm-hmm. See how that goes. I think we are not in a position where we give every single dollar a name. So in theory, we want to be responsible with our finances, but we use the credit card so much that right. we lose track of everything. So a lot of times I tell my clients, you know, live on $25 for for the week. When I tell them that, the looks that I would receive, <laughs> they look at me as though I have 
two heads. But the reason why I tell them that because it makes you so much more disciplined. And I bet you, you won't go out spending $15 on a latte at Starbucks if you knew you only had $25 for the week. So it's just setting up the parameters to say, you know what, I'm going to restrict myself in this area so that I can really maximize my full budget. Got it. Okay, so I'm going to keep it all the way real Uh now. Do you think men are intimidated by women who really have it together financially, professionally, et cetera? Yes. And the reason why I say uh, we I think I'm going to have to come on for a part two on this. Part two, (laughs) because that's a whole other conversation. And because I am an accountant and because I talk about finances I own a home. I am, I guess I give off that perception to a gentleman that is not on their up and up that they're beneath me. But in reality, my desire is to help them so much more to get to that place. Mm -hmm. Not to say I'm settling, but it's to help them to get there because I never come off as though I'm doing this and you're not. That's Mm -hmm. never me. But for whatever reason, men, sometimes they create these illusions in their head and they allow themselves to feel insecure about certain things. Don't kill me, listeners, but I'm just speaking some truth. We keep it candid. We keep it candid on the 26er podcast. So let's delve into that a little bit deeply since we more deeply since we went there. Right. Mm -hmm. So you're telling me that if if you've got your stuff together, you own a home, your finances are in order, you got the game on lock Mm -hmm. and someone comes and they are not on the up and up. You're willing to consider them as a life partner. Oh, no, 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 no. Okay, so it's it's <laughs> because I, you know how you want to say stuff without exposing yourself. Because you I get know, it. I get it. I totally get it. I totally put you on the spot. I know I did, but I felt like I had to do it. It's the first sister circle yes. episode. So I'm gonna say this. So I'm gonna say this for my friend. You know, for for a friend. <laughs> if for example, if one of my friends was dating a particular gentleman who did not have their finances together, and they were in a position where they were an entrepreneur and their income varies because they're not getting the steady paycheck the way we do. As long as they're a go-getter and they're creating opportunities for themselves to increase their revenue and also saying to themselves, if I got to a point where I'm not making that much money, what is my plan B? Then I can, I can, my friend can work with it. (laughs) My friend. My friend, let me just say, so I'm going to let you off the hook. I'll, I'll, I'll say this. I think successful women is not so much that you've got to make the same money. Like a man mm-hmm. has to come to the table making the same money. I mean, statistically, I think, you know, if you're talking about women of color, we do out earn. Yes. I think from a statistical perspective, but have a plan yes. and have some ambition. Yes. Now, if, if you're coming to the table looking at me as like the lottery ticket, right? Like, oh, you can upgrade my entire life. I don't see you as a potential life partner. I see you as a potential son. I'm just saying, do you want a mama to take care of you or you want someone that, you know, you can jump in this thing with together and create a partnership? So that that's my thing. Let's Mm -hmm. you know, I I look for ambition. I look for a plan and I look for good stewardship 
with whatever it is that yes, you're making. Yes, yes, yes. Because I, you know, I've dated guys who make a lot of money but have nothing to show for mm-hmm. it. And I've, you know, dated guys who didn't have as much but were so good with it that, you know, they were able to grow it and multiply it. So, gentlemen, don't be mad. And, no, you know, if you if you don't fall in this category, if you don't have certain insecurities or what have you, don't be sending me messages talking about not all men. We know if it's yes. not you. It's not you, but we also know that a hit dog will holler. Mm -hmm. That's the old folks say. So if it does apply to you, just take some notes Mm -hmm. (laughs) and do better. Just say ouch. Yeah. (laughs) But anyway, do you ever work with couples? Yes, I did work with a couple before. I did two couples. Um, So one of the couples was it it was very interesting because one was an entrepreneur um, and the other one had a nine to five job. Got it. OK. So it kind of speaks to what it is, what I what I was alluding to for my friend. If she was dating <laughs> someone um, that you have to get to a point where, you know, when this entrepreneurial lifestyle has taken its course and I might have to look at that plan B. And it's not to say you need to give up on your dreams. Mm-hmm. It's just you need to think of other options because you don't want one particular person in the relationship to carry most of the weight and I'm so I'm old school Mm -hmm. old school in a sense where I saw my father take care of the household my mom did her part but the main responsibility was of my father I share in those same sentiments where I want my husband to embody those same things I also realize that not all men are going to be working in corporate America. So it goes back to what you said about, you know, you have to have that plan. You have to be ambitious. We have to engage in that conversation about debt and how much you owe. Mm -hmm. Because when we get married, I have no student loans. I don't want to take on your $100,000 worth of student loans because now I'm going to be looking at you while we're going to bed at night with the side eye. Because you have all of that, all of that debt for my friend. I was saying that for <laughs> the, my the friend, friend, right? Hypothetically. Not, yeah. But let, let me, let me, okay. Let me challenge you here. Okay. Right. Cause I have an advanced theory. I mm-hmm. know what that costs. I'm still paying student loans off. So yeah. there might be someone who has a hundred thousand mm-hmm. dollars, but is a physician or a lawyer, right. Who has the means to pay them off over time and has a plan. Yes. Can you make an exception there? Yes, I can. Okay. Uh, or your friend, you think yeah, your friend oh, yeah, would make yeah, yeah. Yeah, for my friend, for my friend. I, I, I think my friend would make the exception. But I think the, the, the overall theme that we keep saying is the plan. Mm-hmm. Um, if you don't plan to succeed, you plan to fail. And I tell my clients all the time that proper planning prevents poor performances. So in us working together as a couple... You know, we're bringing our finances together. Let's create a way to tackle these finances and this debt together. Because if something happens, me being your wife, I'm going to have to take care of that responsibility. Right. So just being cognizant of it. Fellas, there are some good sisters out here. Amen. Available. And I don't know. I don't know Keishan's status, but I'm just saying. <laughs> there are some good sisters out here. Y'all better get your act together. 555 <laughs> 2424. <laughs> so tell me, whose story do you draw inspiration from? Ooh, whose story I, I pull inspiration from? So I would say I, I am a woman of faith. Mm-hmm. So I pull a lot from 
um, characters I read in the Bible. Um, I, I can give you one character from the Bible and then I can tell you a, a person in the natural mm-hmm. that, that I pull from. So everyone probably knows about the story of David, mm-hmm. who was a young shepherd boy and he defeated Goliath. Um, but one thing that is amazing in that story is that before he got to a point where he conquered Goliath, he had to defeat the bear and the lion. And people don't understand sometimes that in order for you to reach that greatest potential, reach that um, that successful plateau when it comes to your finances, you have to defeat the lion and the bear, meaning you have to be a good steward of the small that has been entrusted with you. That to is you. good. So when opportunity... Uh, when potential meets opportunity, that's it. it the story is it, it, there's so much success in that. But you have to be in a position to receive. And once you receive it, you have to be in a, a position to conquer it. That is great. And then do you want to talk about someone in present day as well? Uh, in the present day. So I admire Michelle Obama mm-hmm. um, tremendously. Um, one of the things that she always mentions is, you know, when they go low, we go high. Mm-hmm. I have to say that a lot when I'm at work, um, when I'm on the train commuting, yes. <laughs> um, when I'm going to get lunch, you know, all of these things, when they go low, I have to constantly adjust my crown um, and say to myself that I always have to be higher, not in a cocky way, but just in a way where it's like you have to know who you are in this world because society would tell you, me being a woman of color, mm-hmm. I'm not supposed to have certain things. Right. I'm not supposed to be working in this particular job. I'm not supposed to be an, a, a homeowner. I'm not supposed to have certain things. So I want to dismiss that myth that people say. So those are some of the people besides my family and my friends that's where I pull a lot of you know my motivation from awesome so it sounds like you've made a lot of the right decisions in your life Mm -hmm. you've had a a lot of things go your way for lack of a better term but can you tell us about a time when you had to be extraordinary on an ordinary day and what I mean by that is a valley experience where you were experienced some level of failure or disappointment or hardship where you've had to push through despite those difficulties I, I would say when I transitioned from um, one accounting firm to the next. Um, I would say that was one of my most difficult times in my profession because it starts, you start to question everything you know to be true about yourself. And it's funny, I'm talking about that now. And mm-hmm. in, in the same breath, I was just talking about adjusting my crown. Right. But at that time, I felt as though I couldn't do so because I felt so defeated. Um, I, I was transitioning from one job into the next and it was different. You, you, you would think the, the world of accounting is consistent, mm-hmm. but going from cult, um, job to job, the culture is very different. So I had to get accustomed to the new culture at that job. And it was very difficult because I was the only woman of color there. Wow. Um, and and as much as you don't want to feel like you're the only woman of color or person of color, sometimes people make you feel like you are. So that was one of my biggest challenges. Um, but I realized that you don't necessarily have to stay in a place just because you feel you don't have any other options. Mm-hmm. And because I'm so fiscally responsible, I'm always coming from a standpoint of if I leave this job, can I be successful? Can I? I still make the same amount of money. Do I have to go back to work? Mm -hmm. And the 
tail end of that story is I ended up leaving that job and I decided to stay out of work for three months. Really? Three amazing months. My skin was glowing. <laughs> I was that low stress life. No, no stress life. And I didn't have to dip into my savings account to pay my mortgage at all. Everything still was taken care of. I still got my hair done because, you know, reality is we still want to take pride in how we look. Right. Nothing stopped. The drums didn't stop. Everything was still going as scheduled. But I would have never realized that if I was never placed in a situation to be uncomfortable to put me in a position to see my greatest potential. So so how did you make that happen? If you didn't dip into savings, you left because I know people are going to ask this question like, Mm -hmm. wait, okay, she didn't go in her savings, but the hair was fly. The mortgage was paid. How how did you make that happen? So the the main reason. So when I decided to leave, Mm -hmm. you always you leave your job, you give them a certain amount of time, but you still get your two weeks pay or your Mm -hmm. vacation pay. So I was still able to have that money left over. I also had money in my checking account. So Mm -hmm. the money that I had in there, I, I don't live a lifestyle of paycheck to paycheck. And I also make sure that I don't carry any balances over to the next month. So in that situation when I wasn't working, I didn't have any accumulations on my credit card because I paid them off the Mm -hmm. month before. So I was still able to do those regularly scheduled things because I didn't need to dip into my into my savings because my lifestyle had reduced tremendously because I'm not spending. Right. I'm not going out the way I used to. Now I have to learn how to cook. Like, there's all of these things. Wait, that I, wait. Did, you're Jamaican. Did you say learn how to cook? See, what had happened was uh, the way my kitchen was set up. I can help myself now. But I want to say when I first started, my father was very strict on us growing up. Mm-hmm. Where we couldn't, we couldn't touch the stove. We couldn't cook. We couldn't do any of that stuff. My mom was the main person who did all of that. Okay. So... It's like once I became an adult, I ate out a lot. Mm-hmm. And that was something that I realized when having a budget, you realize, OK, you're single. You eat out all the time. That's something that you have to put a handle on. But I want to say over the past couple of years, not couple like two, maybe like a little more than two. <laughs> um, I've really mastered like cooking and I have a passion for doing it. Do you yeah. make rice on pea? Yes. OK, see that that's all that matters. If you could at least do that, <laughs> we're we on a good track. We're doing good. So what is on the horizon for Keishin Rowe? Oh, what's on the horizon? I would say um, just being in position to do my passion, mm-hmm. speak to more individuals, um, travel more to different states to really speak to the black and brown community about their finances. Because again, it, it goes back to what I said about the potential that we have, our buying power and realizing that we have the ability you know, just take a look at Black Panther. Mm-hmm. The way it, you know, this was one of the leading movies that grossed so much money. Over a billion dollars. Look mm-hmm. at that. Mm-hmm. There were people going multiple times. Imagine if we tapped into that resource, you know, even though it was it's small, $20 to go to mm-hmm. the movie. But it just shows that when we come together, look how much fire we start. Right. So I want to ignite that fire in people. I, I want to get them to a point where they change their relationship with money. So I want to be on TV. I want to be the black Susie Orman. I want to be Oprah's friend. Hey, Oprah. I want to be all of that. Trying to get you know? with that Oprah brunch. That's yes. All, you know, and then the interview in the woods for Super Soul 
special Sunday. I'm all about that. Yes. But I digress. <laughs> <laughs> so where can people find you online? So on uh, social media, on Instagram, you can find me at the T-H-E underscore legacy underscore lady on Instagram. And then you can find me on Facebook at the legacy lady. I have a, a Facebook page on there. And then you can go over to my website. So www.keishanrow.com. And that's K-E-I-S-H-A-N-R-O-W-E.com. Well, Keishan, I have enjoyed this conversation thoroughly. I'm so happy we finally got to make it happen. I hope you enjoyed it as well. I sure did. To the listeners, make sure you find The Legacy Lady online. Go ahead and follow her. Check out her service offerings on her website. And as always, remember to be extraordinary on an ordinary day. Take care. Thank you for listening to the December 26th podcast. I am your host, Delisha. This episode was produced by Demarcus Adisa, and music was provided by Thovo. You can find us on Twitter, Instagram, and Facebook at December 26th. That's December 26ER.